Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So you're here in the United States illegally. You're here in the state of Indiana illegally. You know what that means? That's right. You get a driver's license. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. TonyKatz.Locals.com. This is the story. I actually found it over at Fox News. I'm like, what in the the bloody world is this? Right? It was weird enough when we saw the thing about vaccine passports. We're like, what are you you doing? No, this this is a thing. Now, it's not, as, as I read the summary, it's not as bad of a thing as maybe other people are putting it at, but, but follow here. Vaccination status information, right? So this is Senate Bill 47. Requires the Indiana Department of Health, State Department, to release to, release to certain individuals upon request a scannable barcode, QR code, or similar code linked to a document that contains the individual's information from the immunization data registry. Requires the State Department to provide the code to the individual not later than 14 days from a request by the individual. Is that a vaccine passport conversation? And am I required to have a vaccine passport? It, it, am I required to show vaccine status information to get into a public building, a private building? What other health information must I provide? So there's a, a question here as to what's going on. I'm going to let some more debate take place but this story about driver's licenses i don't know if this needs more debate as the story goes indiana lawmakers advance plan to give illegal immigrants driving cards see it's not a driver's license it's a driving card as you know there is a difference and you're like oh yeah of course of course there's a there's a there's a huge huge massive difference. Please don't insult. Don't insult us. It's so incredibly rude. State uh Senate committee voting 5-4. I'm not even sure which committee this is. To endorse the bill that would allow immigrants living in the country illegally to obtain state issued cards giving them permission to drive. Yes, I have uh, some objection to this. And I'm getting some some weird pushback online because it started with this idea that Indiana is not in the deportation business. Why not let everyone have proper American identification? Talk to the feds if you want them deported or Congress if you want the undocumented people to be able to fix their papers. You don't have a good argument here. First, there's no such thing as undocumented. That's terminology utilized by the political left because they don't want to say the term illegal, people in the country illegally. Secondly, of course, Indiana doesn't deport. But I find it interesting that you can say to somebody who's in the country illegally, people who I'm always told are living, quote unquote, in the shadows, yeah, just walk into the BMV and get a card and then you can drive. That's that's not so much in the shadows, now is it? Shouldn't the answer be, okay, now you've come and you've, you've gotten this card. Oh, by the way, we've also shared this information with Immigration's Customs Enforcement because you broke the law getting into the country. The conversation here is about the law and the law that was broken at the first. 
And therefore, why are we engaging things to make it easier for those who broke the law in the first? I want to know what is done for those people who don't pay their state taxes. I know it gets done for people who break the law coming into the country illegally. What happens for those people who don't pay their taxes? I want to know if the state is lenient on them. I want to know if they give them anything. Now, the argument for the the driver's licenses, driver's cards, is that uh, you would make sure they have uh, auto insurance and things like this, and, and then when there are accidents, maybe there's more opportunity for coverage. And to get one, you have to have paid Indiana taxes in the past year. What about the argument of, ah, the rules are too onerous, I'll just drive anyway. It's not like I'll be deported at all. It's not like anything bad could happen to me. The card, the driving card, the driver's license, is a step towards the concept of legalization, and I'm not with you on that. I'm not with, maybe not with you, not with them on that. I am not in favor of legalization willy-nilly. I'm not in favor of legalization of, well, they're already here. I'm not arguing that these are bad people. I I don't make that argument at all. I make the argument that we either have laws or we don't. And if we get to pick and choose which laws we don't pay attention to, excuse me, I have a list. And my list is awesome, baby! Ooh. Oh yeah! Oh, I'm not. Not only not paying taxes anymore. Oh, all that, all those uh, rules about public nudity. <laughs> this is, this is happening in real time, people. Hello, sir. Wait till you see the show. Hot diggity. I think I'm bringing up a logical point, a logical argument. And when I responded to this tweet that the argument is not about is is about not providing the license. I didn't say that Indiana should deport or that they could, which they can't. And the response was, so you don't want them deported but you don't want to give them licenses? How does that make sense? Well, that's being purposefully obtuse. And I and at that moment I do admittedly walk away from conversations on social media because that's clearly not the point that I'm getting at. You, you don't have deportations coming from the state. Is the state going to share the information of, oh, this person's here illegally with ICE? That's an interesting question. I'd like the answer uh, for that because the answer for that will determine whether or not this program even can work or people will be like, I'm not going to go get a license. That's, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. This is um, a bad idea as I see it, and it will continue to be a bad idea. The idea that the state should have to figure out how to deal with the problems of the federal government should not be the case in this situation. It should be going back to the federal government and saying, you're failing us again and again and again and putting the demands and the onus on them. I'm not saying that we don't live with the the consequences of their actions. I am saying our job is not to make it easier. There, the laws have to be followed. I don't think that's too much to ask. Meanwhile, the State of the Union last night, Representative Victoria Sparks is up next. This is Tony Katz Today. I think it was 70 minutes of a speech from Joe Biden in the State of the Union. And he was clear on some things and absolutely foolhardy on others. Tony Katz, 
Good to be with you. Uh, Congresswoman Victoria Sparts joins us right now from the Indiana 5th, my member of Congress, and you were there watching uh, the State of the Union last night. And, of course, the conversation of Ukraine uh, came up and the conversation of support uh, came up. And Joe Biden has not uh, ever signaled that he's not going to be supportive of Ukraine in the fight against Russia, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, having sent the M1, uh, uh, A- A- A1 tanks, the Abrams tanks, um, uh, and, and and other materials as as we've seen, uh, did any part of Joe Biden's speech on the subject of Ukraine uh, give you a a sense of good, or like finally, or did it give you pause? Uh, your take. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tony. I'll tell you something. You know, the whole speech in, in reminded me like. Uh, Secretary General Brezhnev laid out like Soviet industrial economy policy, how government is going to give you everything and control everything. And on the issue in Ukraine, I'll tell you, this is something what happened with the same people that ran uh, Obama administration with Crimea and the same what we just happened with situation is China. We've never been proactive. Now we've been reactive. The cost is high and we need to start governing. And unfortunately, I haven't seen that. But I've seen a lot of promises and campaign promises. It was very clever how President Biden laid out his speech. And it was very clever how he says, oh, we're going to take your guns. We're going to take, you know, have open borders, you know, kill unborn, take your money and give it to our friends. But let's find the common ground. Let's work together. We are very open to work together if we instill this dictatorship. But it's very clever how they deliver. They try to appeal to working class people. They try to appeal to suburban voters with resort fees and all of that, you know, fees that airlines are doing. It was very clever. And you can see that was a campaign speech for him to campaign in 24. I think a lot of this was a campaign speech uh, in 2024. But I will admit, if if the president can get a, get rid of resort fees, uh, I'll consider him. I really will. But you, you bring up the idea of those things that he brought up and you, the speech was a tremendous amount of populism, which would seem a Trump-type thing to do, and it was uh, Joe Biden uh, discussing it. The the take from the speech is that this was all campaign, or was there anything here that, as a member of Congress, you want to start working on today? Well, unfortunately, you know, even we're talking about, like I thought, maybe we can come, you know, find common ground on one issue. It's lawlessness on this open border because it's national security crisis. But they're not looking at it the same way that we're looking, because unfortunately, there is a lot of money involved. A lot of special interest groups make a lot of money on these people, you know, that are desperate. And unfortunately, cartels taking over control and no one wants to deal with that. So we're going to go to the border. We'll try to push these issues. But I haven't heard anything there that's major and important for our country where we can actually work together. Because they laid out very radical policies and a lot of government control and take, take over every type of industry. And I think that is very dangerous move in you know, I'll try to find for the good of this country some common ground, but I haven't seen anything. When you talk about uh, government control and you had put out a statement about it sounded like the government should control everything, you've mentioned this now a couple of times. What specifically in the State of the Union, Congresswoman, made you say, well, this is government wanting to take over once again? Well, I mean, think about it. We are going to 
control all of the businesses. We're going to control all of the fees. We're going to decide, you know, what kind of, you know, prices companies are going to charge. People don't understand. When you start control prices, companies will find other way to charge. You know, you're going to just destroy competition and innovation in that market. And most of the time, it's going to benefit larger companies because we create loopholes and on top of it, create subsidies. I'll give you an example. We talk about healthcare. We talk about, oh my gosh, we're going to have this, you know, and all of this, you know, special interest group subsidies. Well, we subsidize this enormous amount of money through Obamacare to special interest group, giving billions to them. Billions. They create monopolies. We have in Indiana huge hospital monopoly problems, which build in Taj Mahal, invest in money in Wall Street, paying huge money to executives. I mean, destroying the healthcare value. But we are going to, you know, we are going to help and all these people. What they're doing is help their friends because the more money you give to Washington, D.C., the more is going to go to the people that are close to the government. And this is a large corporation, large special interest group, and people are getting screwed. And it's becoming bigger and a bigger problem. And I think this is something that we have to deal with. So they have all these promises to us, but in reality, they're destroying our country and destroying federal budget. And everything they so said me- is more controlled. Let me now, uh, talking to Congresswoman Victoria Sparks of the Indiana 5th District, this was Joe Biden last night talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. The Inflation Reduction Act is also the most significant investment ever in climate change. Ever. Lowering utility bills, creating American jobs, leading the world to a clean energy future. I visited... Does that seem odd to you that when you were uh, voting on the Inflation Reduction Act, you were told it was going to reduce inflation, and now you have the president sitting there for the State of the Union admitting that it's a climate change bill. Uh, Should Americans feel this is a bait and switch? Do you? Well, of course. You know, listen, all of these bills, you know, they give pretty names, you know, that really do not reflect what's inside, but it's more government control, more price setting, and really given money to special interest groups that they're interested in because they give them big political donations back to get to run these crazy races that now cost enormous amount of money. And this is what Washington, D.C. is becoming and destroying, you know, legitimate businesses because small businesses and little guy doesn't have ability to lobby over there all of the loopholes that they provide to large special interest groups and subsidies, enormous amount subsidies provided to large corporations how can you compete with that you know so i think that is the challenge that's why we have this unreasonable energy policies and i am not against innovation i think we should innovate in all types of energy we should be innovative energy independent we should look at new types of clean energy we should promote that but that's not what is happening they promote money to go to some special interest groups and we're all paying for it because it's unfeasible and dumb to say that we are going to be all, you know, not be able to use fossil fuels, you know, before the end of, you know, before 2030. That's what they tried to push. Even Biden kind of acknowledged it during his speech that we actually need fossil fuels because each of us, not just paying at the pump, every item, you know, that we are eating, every item that we consume in any way includes some type of energy input. So it costs us enormous amount of money and people and funds like BlackRock 
I'm making billions now, and it's kind of funny doing all this advertising and Fox News, I noticed, to try to build goodwill, but also, you know, to try to make sure well, that... Well, the, the best of luck them. to BlackRock trying to build goodwill, talking to Congresswoman Victoria Sparks of the Indiana 5th District. And certainly when Joe Biden said we're going to need oil and gas for at least the next 10 years, it was a funny line. But let me take it off the speech just for a moment and go to your own words. Quote, I won a lot of tough battles for the people and will work hard to win a few more in the next two years. However, being a working mom is tough and I need to spend more time with my two high school girls back home. So I will not run for any office in 2024. Congresswoman, it was rumored that you were going to run for Senate, that that was going to be something uh, that that happened. You have certainly made a name for yourself in D.C. And then the announcement, which took everybody, including myself, by surprise that you're not running for anything um is this a decision that you could uh change your mind on or is this it this is your last term you're done well listen i i'll tell you something you know i had a lot of my uh state house colleagues and people back home here that really wanted to me to consider running for the senate you know because i spent a lot of time fighting tough battles. And I'm not just going, you know, being a talking head on TV to deliver talking points. I actually delivered some real results. It takes an enormous amount of energy. So I really took it that seriously, spent a little bit of time with my girls, too. And I've been involved with politics since they were in strollers, little babies. And now they're almost out of high school. And I said, you know, in four years, they probably will not even, you know, call me once a year for Christmas, you know, and then I will barely see them. You know, so I really need to spend some time a little bit with them because I prioritize work in politics for a long time. And I work enormous hours. You cannot even imagine. And I, you know, I I actually do much more than I talk about. But, you know, and it's important for me maybe to spend a little bit time with them. But also it gives me opportunity in the next two years to really help Republicans to change the culture, to do something differently so I can concentrate my energy and also reinvigorate, you know. There is no lobby for the people in D.C. or any state house anywhere. So it takes a lot of energy to fight this battle. So sometimes it's good to step back, to invigorate, to, to go back with the people. And it's really where I draw my energy. So it's good for me to a little bit regroup in that and get some things done and then look and see, you know, what other things I can, you know, contribute to. But I just thought that was a time where I probably cannot commit myself for a very long time to D.C. because that's the insane place. So really quick, yes or no answer. You need to uh, reinvigorate. You want to be closer uh, to your family, closer to home. Does that mean we see a run for governor in 2024? Yes or no? <laughs> no, I'm not planning to run anything in 24. You know, I want to really, but I'll still be contributing in some ways because I truly believe we are in a very challenging time. And I think we need to make sure that we better inform the American people, what's happening with politics and more engaged people in politics because it's right. extremely important and have more normal, common sense people involved. My thanks to Congresswoman Victoria Sparts of the Indiana 5th uh, District. I don't know. I just when when people leave politics after spending so much time in politics, you wonder if they really and truly want uh, to leave, if, if they see another thing around the corner, what are the angles, things like, like that. Uh, the representative, I think the representative has always been honest with me. So I, I, I assume that she's not really looking at anything in 2024, but it's politics. Things come up, opportunities come up, and uh, they get taken. We'll see.
We'll keep an eye on what she does. More on the State of the Union. Congressman Larry Bouchon up next. This is Tony Katz today. who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. Joe Biden at moments was sweet in the State of the Union. That's how he started. It ended, though, as the voice went up because Joe Biden does not do a good job of engaging a conversation about passion with voice. It comes across as yelling. And even when he spoke about cancer, when he spoke about Uh, people dying in in, in that shooting that took place in California, and he's able to hit those softer tones. It is jarring when he jumps back to this screaming and yelling and this whole thing about name for me one leader who would trade places with Xi Jinping, screaming at members of Congress. I thought screaming at members of Congress was reserved for we the people. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Congressman Larry Bouchon joins us right now from the 8th District of Indiana. That is the Southwest uh, Quadrant. I want to get into some specifics, but you were in the room uh, last night. You heard the president yelling at you. You heard me- members of your party uh, engaging back. Your overall take on the substance of President Biden's State of the Union last night. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the president just said that he was touting his accomplishments, but the things that he considers accomplishments are massive amounts of federal spending that led to some of the highest inflation rates in 40 years, high gas prices, um, and other things that the administration is doing to limit the uh, fossil fuel production in the United States that's now making us dependent on foreign countries again. So, you know... They genuinely believe that these are accomplishments, but uh, I beg to differ. And it was an unusual speech because you just mentioned the president's voice went up and down. Sometimes, honestly, he was pretty incoherent. I had a hard time following along about what he was trying to say. So, um, you know, I thought it was very partisan and and divisive um, and just, um, you know, a very unusual speech that was hard to follow. One of the places that got a lot of pushback was when he was discussing this idea that Republicans want to sunset uh, Social Security and, and Medicare. Listen, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it. Contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. It was indeed a, a, a moment. So let's break this down to its two parts, sir. You're a, a medical doctor by training. Yeah. We're not going to take a look at Social Security and Medicare and realize that these are programs that will, in too many levels, be insolvent. We have to make changes to them. We're just going to leave them as is, uh, keep taking money away from uh, unborn grandchildren and hope for the best? Well, here, here's the thing that your listeners should know, that mandatory spending is about 70% of the federal budget. So 
the non-mandatory spending, like the Department of Defense and every other federal program, are only 30 percent of the budget. You could eliminate all of that spending, and we would still run deficits. So, you know, we're going to have to address the long-term entitlement spending. Everybody knows it on both sides of the aisle. What we don't want to do in Medicare is cut benefits to seniors, but what we have to do is address this massive uh, spending related on to such high, related to such high healthcare costs. So my take on this is, is we need to address healthcare costs, and they're out of control. And you know, in Indiana, you're seeing uh, in the media reports about the high charges at hospitals and other places in the healthcare industry that are some of the tops in the country. So, you know, we do have to address these mandatory spending programs. We don't want to cut benefits, but we're going to have to reform these programs, Tony, because they're 70% and climbing. People are estimating in the next 20 years, they could be 100% of the current federal budget if we don't address it. So, you know, it's politically uh, difficult, and the president is being very dishonest uh, about Republicans' approach to this. Uh, But we have to address mandatory spending. They know it. We know it. And we need to find a bipartisan solution going forward to how we deal with it. With all due respect, sir, if everybody knows it and you just heard from both sides of the aisle, we're not going to do anything about it, doesn't really leave much room for doing something about it. No, what they're talking about is they're saying cutting the programs and that the Biden's being very dishonest because Republicans don't want to cut these programs. What we want to do is reform them and make them sustainable. And that's a, that's totally different than saying we want to cut them. Democrats think that if you try to reform any federal program, make it more efficient, get rid of the waste, get rid of uh, some of the uh, problems with these programs, the fraud, that that's cutting the program. That's not what Republicans are talking about. We're talking about reforms and creating sustainable programs so people don't lose their benefits. And the, the Democrats are just dishonest about this. They know it needs to be addressed. But they know also that it's a political winner for them sometimes if they come out and say the Republicans want to cut these programs. So there's a difference between cutting benefits and reforming and making programs sustainable. Talking with Congressman Larry Bouchon of the 8th District of Indiana, the Southwest region of Indiana. Now let's get to the response really quick. It got boos. It had uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, calling uh, President Biden a liar right there from the gallery. Uh, was this theater or were Republicans really angry at this? Well, what's, what is clearly, and I will admit to that gladly, a lie from Joe Biden. No, we were angry. I booed the president when he said that because he knows how dishonest it is. Um, he knows that it's a political talking point. And uh, Republicans uh, were re- really angry um, because, we, like I just said, we know that mandatory spending is 70 percent of the federal budget and growing and that we need to address it to make these programs sustainable. We don't want to cut benefits in Medicare and Social Security, but there's a lot of of fraud. There's a lot of waste in these programs. And and we need to cut, honestly, health care costs on the front end rather than trying to pay bills that are too big. We need to get a handle on why health care is so expensive in the United States and it doesn't need to be. What I'm talking about is the product, product itself is too expensive, and we need to address that. So, no, we were genuinely angry. I was angry because 
uh, it's a flat-out lie. And uh, the president was booed by House Republicans. The other uh, place that got a lot of people looking around saying, what is he talking about, was a conversation uh, about uh, the the debt limit and this idea that, you know, here I am, Joe Biden, I walk into office, we've got this huge debt issue because of the Trump administration, and that's why we have to raise the debt ceiling now. Uh, the, the look, I believe it was on uh, Senator Mike Lee's face, is going to be a meme that carries on for generations. Uh, if, if you're now in control of Congress, and I believe that you will raise the debt limit, and I would like to see a cut in spending, exactly how strong is the Republican will to get spending cuts uh, in order to raise the debt limit, or is the debt limit going up regardless? Well, the debt limit will not be raised by House Republicans without some fiscal reform to get control of our spending. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be, and the president needs to realize that, and that we have divided government. They need to sit down with House Republicans, and let's find some fiscal reforms. I equate this to you charge up a credit card. Say you have a teenage son or daughter, they charge up a, a credit card. Of course, you're going to have to pay that bill, and that's kind of where we are with the debt dealing. We've already spent all this money. But do you just let that son or daughter continue then to use the card in the same way and then rack up new debt? Or do you change the way they spend money and rack up debt on the credit card? That's what we're talking about here. So, you know, House Republicans are, are have a strong will to get some fiscal reforms to get control of this spending going forward. And uh, I think we will. I think the president needs to sit down with us and uh, quit using it for politics. The debt ceiling has been used to get some fiscal reforms for a long time, and it's going to this time, or it won't pass the House. Well, I've still got a minute with with you, sir, talking to Congressman Larry Bouchon of the Indiana 8th District. One of the places that got an applause line from both Democrats and Republicans was the conversation about policing in America and the ideas of reforms and putting an end to unnecessary uh, shootings. Is there anybody you've spoken to on the Democratic side of the aisle, anybody you've spoken to on the Republican side of the aisle, who has a bit of legislation, a concept, an idea of what they mean by reform? Or was this a feel-good moment as opposed to we're going to see something come out of it moment? No, Senator Tim Scott uh, for, uh, has led on this issue, an African-American senator from South Carolina. I think all your listeners know who Senator Scott is. He's a, he's a friend and a great senator. Uh, but here's the difference. What Democrats want to do is they want to allow trial lawyers to sue individual police officers personally if, if there is a complaint uh, about them doing their job. So what Republicans want is we want accountability and we want people to follow the law, whether you're a police officer or not. And what Democrats want is they want to put police officers at risk of being sued personally if, say, for example, a police officer has to detain someone and that person says, well, they they were too aggressive, so I'm suing them for assault. They want that to be sued, them to be sued personally and risk their own house and their livelihood, you know, where what Republicans want to make sure is that, you know, police officers are held accountable if they violate the law. And so there's just a divide there, because if we do what the Democrats want, let me tell you, I spoke to the Evansville Police Department the last time this came up. 
They said 80% of their police officers would find another profession if they were put at risk by trial lawyers suing them for every little thing that they do. And that's exactly what would happen. It's called qualified immunity. What that means is if you're doing your job properly and you're following the law, you know, you're not personally liable. But if you violate the law, and that's a misconception the Democrats have, if you violate the law as an officer, you're still liable. It's qualified immunity. You're immune to being sued by a trial lawyer if you're doing your job properly and following right. the law. So there's just a big divide there. They, 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 believe, they believe we should put all of our officers at risk to being sued all, constantly by, by trial lawyers while they're doing their job. You know, they got a tough job to do. They, they put their life at risk every day. My thanks to Congressman Larry Bashan of the 8th District. I do greatly uh, appreciate it. Um, there's no doubt Social Security and Medicare ha- have to be handled. These things have to be taken care of. These things need the reform. So when they were going about this this display of bipartisanship yesterday and going through this idea of, well, we're not going to touch it, what exactly are we saying here? Because there's a real argument to be made for, well, that's a very dishonest thing to do to America. That's a very dishonest thing to do to the American people because these things need to be reformed. It cannot last like this. It can't go on. Everybody wants to say, well, we, what are we supposed to tell seniors? We're taking it away from you. We have to say something. And I get it. You, you promised people something. You want to deliver on that. You got to tell the future. We don't have this anymore. And that's the problem with all of these programs. When the programs get put into place, well, how do you roll it back? The answer is you never do. Thus, government always grows. That's the issue. So when you hear me talk about programs and being opposed to this and whoa, whoa, whoa on that, it is with the knowledge of what we're looking at right here regarding Social Security. It never goes away. It never gets smaller. But all it does is further endanger us with the largesse. It is a danger, this out-of-control spending. It is a danger, this government program growth. It is. It is. You promise people things, you're going to have to somehow deliver. But you're going to have to tell future generations, you know what? We're going to change the system. Things are going to get modified. And that's just the way it is. And better I take the hit then my grandkids take this hit of the outrageous spending because we have a government that sees them not as human beings and not as citizens, but as ATM machines. Guys, keep it here. Find everything, TonyCats.Locals.com. This is Tony Katz Today. So a lot of talk about the State of the Union today. We had to, guys. We had to go over it. We had to break it all down. It was necessary. It had to be done. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. And then, of course, you know, the earthquake. We're hearing reports over 11,000 people dead in Turkey and northern Syria. And they're not done finding people. They're they're just not done finding people. I mean, it was a, a rough day for news, an odd day for news. I'm like, all right, you know what? I, 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 should, I should change it up a little bit. I should try and get everybody right on, on, on track. So I, I found this. Your car's seatbelt. Safety miracle or decapitation nightmare? What is the connection between rain and farming? The answer may surprise you. Heroin, sex, machine guns, flamethrowers, murder. There's no story here. We've just found that ratings go up when we say those words. 
It's time for the worst headline of the day. Man stabs female neighbor to death because her loud noise was distracting him as he played Scrabble. Yeah, that's better, right? That's that's a, that, that's a better news story. That's, that's how you, you know what they say? God on a high note, cats. That's what they say. When I got into radio, they said to me, kid, kid, you're going to be a star. You're going to be a star, kid. You know what the key is? You know what the key is to good radio? God on a high note. Go out on a high note. Leave them wanting more. And I said, okay, Mr. Old-Timey Producer. Uh, And so uh, this story. A French man accused of stabbing his neighbor to death because the music disturbed a game of Scrabble. He's 41. He killed this woman who's 21 because of the noise. Both police and neighbors say it was not uh, very loud. This is, um, this is, see, being in France, you got to ask yourself, so is this societal? And the answer is there's always in societies two sides of the bell curve. Everywhere, there's two sides of the bell curve. There's always somebody who could possibly snap at any single moment. And that, to me, is what happened here. Not being able to have control of oneself, not being able to to maintain a, a bit of a composure, not even be able to ask you, turn it down. I mean, the headline's just crazy. Woman's dead over Scrabble. Guys, uh, my advice to you is have a lovely sip of bourbon, smoke a cigar, and relax, and we'll all still be here tomorrow. I may be in Houston tomorrow, but I'll be here. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. I will be in Houston tomorrow. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.